broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network. This is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. It um, promises to be a good show. We have with us our uh, uh, longtime uh, invitee to the uh, Drug Truth Network, Mr. Eric Sterling, heads up the Criminal Justice Policy Foundation in Washington, D.C. And uh, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, yesterday was National Methamphetamine Awareness Day. Did you know that? Well, President Bush wanted you to know that. He sent uh, his henchmen, agents of the DEA and the uh, Office of National drug control policy all over the country with for press conferences and so forth the peak for meth use was back in 1979 did they tell you that no they didn't did they it's been tapering off ever since and um, the fact that there are people making bathtub methamphetamine should come as no surprise due to the fact that prohibition makes it uh, so profitable and with that let's go ahead and bring in our guest mr eric sterling Good to join you and all the listeners on the Drug Truth Network. It, it's good to have you with us again. Eric, uh, I was uh, glad to see you a couple of weeks back. We both attended the uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy uh, convention there in D.C. I thought that was uh, rather well put together. Your thoughts on it? The uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy conference was uh, their best yet in six years. Extremely well organized, uh, tremendous attendance. Uh, really a first-class job. Uh, Chris Crane, uh, Tom Angel, Micah Daigle, the staff of SSDP really deserve a lot of kudos for their work. And uh, we're, we're going to uh, drop that for the moment, but uh, I want folks to know they can learn more about it at uh, uh, ssdp.org. And if you're a, a youngster out there, high school or college age, uh, you can start uh, uh, an affiliation with them in, in your locale as well. Once again, we've done it. We've proven ourselves champions of the world in the uh, rate of incarcerating our own people. Uh, a couple of different reports came out in the last few days that uh, show the overload uh, that we put on our prisons and that the predominant number are uh, more and more there for drug charges. Uh, Eric, you were there uh, with the House, uh, was it Judiciary Committee? That's right. When they were writing the, uh, uh, rewriting the laws, uh, installing these mandatory minimums and so forth, do you think they realized back then what was going to happen? No. Uh, in 1986, uh, after basketball star Len Bias died, uh, the, the day that he signed with the NBA champion Boston Celtics, uh, that set off a... Uh, wave of legislative uh, activity on Capitol Hill. And uh, it resulted in the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986. And that established uh, mandatory minimums for what Congress thought were high-level drug trafficking, but the numbers they picked were low-level. At that time, the federal prison population was 36,000 people. Today, it's over 193,000 people. No one in Congress envisioned that the federal prison population would go to 100,000, let alone almost 200,000. Because remember, 
for a half century, from 1925 until 1975, the federal prison population was between 20 and 25,000. It had never gone more than that. It was a very steady level number. And uh, people just could not believe, no one would have ever imagined that we would have seen a federal prison population of the kind that we have today. And I, I have in front of me some stats uh, put together here um, from some of this prison data, and, and they do a comparison. They show uh, the current prison populations and some example, uh, United States, uh, for instance, New York, compared to a country of a similar size, uh, in this comparison, Australia. And they show uh, New York now has 92,769 prisoners, and Australia, with a very similar population, has 25,350. Three, uh, you know, civilized nations. Oh, okay, uh, almost four to one. Uh, Massachusetts, twenty-two thousand seven seventy-eight versus Hong Kong, eleven thousand five twenty-one. Illinois, sixty-four thousand seven thirty-five versus Ecuador. You know, that's not exactly a, a you know, a, a first-rate nation. Twelve thousand two fifty-one. And uh, uh, my home state of Texas, I. I'm embarrassed to say this. Malaysia. You wouldn't think that's a, you know, a land of the free, home of the brave. But let's do a comparison. Texas, 223,195 versus Malaysia, 35,644. It's nothing to be proud of, is it, Eric? The United States, with about 5% of the world's population, has more than 20% of the world's prisoners. Uh, we... Um, you know, we are the world's leading incarcerator. No country on the planet in history has ever locked up such a large proportion of its population. We, if we were safe, if we had no uh, problems of violence, you might say, well, okay, America's taken a drastic approach to establishing domestic tranquility. Unfortunately... Even after all of this, even after the declines in American crime rates over the last decade, we still have violent crime and property crime, excuse me, violent crime rates that are many times those of uh, the Western world. There are only a few countries, uh, Mexico, Colombia, um, uh, the Congo, a few countries in the world that have higher violent crime rates than we do. Uh, I'm looking here at uh, a report, I think it was in yesterday's Financial Times, and I, I'm going to quote from it. Around 25 to 30 key traffickers, the majority of them based in southern Afghanistan, control major transactions and transfers, work, working closely with sponsors in top government and political positions. Afghanistan's interior ministry, which oversees the police, has been captured by powerful traffickers and was used to facilitate the drugs trade. That's, n that's not a, a loan instance i mean we have vast uh, seas of corruption over there as well as in mexico which i'm told is now starting to run a course pretty much parallel to that of colombia under uh, pablo escobar's control down there and uh, once again this is it's not a u.s mandate it's manipulated through the u.n the control of the money distribution uh... to the nations that are sanctioned as quote working to end the drug war but it's it is our if i dare say our responsibility the onus is upon the uh, desire of the united states is, there, is that right 
the United States is the world's leading advocate for drug prohibition. Uh, other countries that have tried to consider alternative approaches to controlling drug abuse have received extremely intense pressure from the U.S. government to stop those approaches. The problem of the violence uh, in Mexico and the corruption of law enforcement in Mexico um, threatens the new government of Felipe Calderon um, even before uh, he takes office and takes the oath of office as he did today. What we have to worry about is that on our borders, a state dominated by organized crime figures of the most violent character um, is now part of our free trade network, the North American Free Trade Agreement. These are very serious threats to our own security, uh, and this flows out of the fact that we use drug prohibition as our exclusive approach toward addressing the problem of drug addiction. Well, you know, here in, in uh, Texas and in, in Houston, we have... I don't know, just this ongoing jihad. We want to build another Harris County jail to double our potential uh, uh, to hold these nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, we have this situation where, uh, you know, the, the, the police are, I, I don't know how to put it, silent. When the, I think many of them out there on the beat would prefer to be going after real criminals. But... Uh, they're just caught up in this this uh, ongoing uh, attempt to rid the nation of drugs. Though I, I guess the the truth is, every time we arrest somebody, it's just a job opportunity, is it not? Well, certainly, when you arrest the lowest level drug sellers, that simply creates another drug, another opportunity to, for someone to get a job selling drugs. These are, in fact, fairly low wage jobs. Uh, economist Stephen Levitt, in his fascinating book, Freakonomics, has a chapter called Why Crack Dealers Live With Their Mamas. And it essentially points out that, you know, working in the crack trade uh, at, the, at the lower levels is essentially pays the minimum wage. And that only a tiny fraction of uh, the organizers of the drug business make substantial profits but the and many many people see the opportunity to move up in this business it's an extremely dangerous business but um you know they are they are perceived in many communities where uh there's not a large population of middle class uh independent business people small business people um, the job of being a drug trafficker has a great deal of appeal. Um, Philippe Burgoy wrote a terrific book called In Search of Respect about the crack trade in El Barrio, the Spanish Harlem in the uh, east side of upper Manhattan. Uh, he, he lived there and got to know uh, crack dealers and tells the story of how um, the story of In Search of Respect is how the choice between being uh, a low-level functionary in New York's financial trades, uh, perhaps as a courier, a copy machine operator, or operating your own little uh, dope-dealing bodega, uh, th even though the dope-dealing bodega has no, you know, has no 
hot water, has no heat in the winter, no air conditioning in the summer, stinks of urine and vomit all year long. You're still your own boss. No Anglo, no gringo is looking down at you, treating you like a clown. You may not be making much money, but you have your own respect. You have your own business. Um, these are parts of the cultural and economic circumstances that drive hundreds of thousands of people into the drug trade. You have to remember there are 340,000 state felony drug convictions. Those are almost all trafficking convictions. That's annual. And yet the drug trade continues uninterrupted, supplying drugs at lower and lower uh, prices and higher and higher purity. It's an amazing scenario is it not now we had the situation and, and it happens every week we we get to hear about them because they're just so outrageous but there was a i think her lady was 88 years old in florida uh the police were storming through her front door and and she pulled out a gun and shot at them and they wound up killing her in a, a botched drug raid and uh another example just uh, i think yesterday here in houston there was a drug turf battle at an apartment complex left a young man uh dead he's 23 years old it uh it, it 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 seems to me that the the problems that result from prohibition are somehow twisted and used as justification to continue the process your, your thoughts on that sir well it's it's true that the 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 status quo of prosecutors and law enforcement and uh drug uh, uh bureaucrats is you know completely invested in um, keeping the current approach uh, in motion. Um, when I worked for the U.S. Congress uh, in the 1980s, Congress always gave more money to the DEA and the other law enforcement agencies than they asked for. Um, didn't matter how much of an increase they asked for, we were going to be even tougher than the White House. We were going to give them more money. The the problems then that we, we would talk about as we characterized it on Capitol Hill, it was not, we would, would not say, you know, how is the nation's effort to uh, control drug addiction going? Uh, how are our efforts to improve the health in the communities? We would say, what's developing in the drug war? What's happening in the drug war? It was conceived of in those terms and the all of the 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 violence the chaos the death were seen as simply an intrinsic part of it not in any sense understood what the causation was that this was uh, an inevitable result of the prohibition approach and the misclassification of the problem as a criminal justice problem and not as a public health or medical problem well, Eric, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I, I want to kind of throw this at you. We have a couple of our friends ran for uh, some rather uh, lofty uh, political offices, uh, did not win, but did open the dialogue. And here's something from a, a Vermont prosecutor, Rutherland Herald, uh, I think uh, was published on the 30th. Rutland, Rutland. R R thank you, sir. And uh, he talks about it's time for uh, Vermont to start rethinking how it handles illegal drugs. We're starting to hear more and more of that from various locales around the nation. Uh, some closing thoughts in that regard. 
Um, there's, there is an enormous discontent with the status quo um, among many sincere and enlightened prosecutors, judges, and even police chiefs and police officers. Um, today, I had a call from a very respected federal judge asking me about drug legalization. Yesterday, I spoke to the uh, proba uh, class of a probation officer who said, you know, I've been a tough guy, hard on drugs. I'm beginning to understand the pointlessness of it. Um, you know, the Rutland, Vermont story was yesterday. Uh, Robert Sand, the Windsor County, Vermont state's attorney, you know, has said that, you know, he's tired of wasting money and wasted lives. And after 15 years as a prosecutor, um, he says he's now favoring decriminalization of all drugs and a health approach to people who use drugs. The, the, the logic, the facts, the compassion that are behind the drug reform movement is contagious and it's unstoppable. And the elections, you know, the fact that we had running for governor of uh of of alabama governor of connecticut united states senator in michigan statewide positions strong advocates for drug legalization is uh testimony that, that these uh, ideas are entering into the political mainstream and are going to and are going to prevail all right, and uh, with that, we will have to wrap it up. But before we go, Eric, please uh, give the folks your website so they can learn more about your work. The Criminal Justice Policy Foundation is at www.cgef.org. Right. Uh, repeat that again. We had a, a cutout, I think. www.cjpf.org. And you, you'll, you would find there a tremendous uh, amount of fascinating material about the nation's drug problem, about clemency, about sentencing, and uh, many aspects of the reform of the criminal justice system. All right. With that, Mr. Eric Sterling, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Dean. It's always a pleasure to talk to the Drug Truth Network. It's time to play Name That Drug by Its Side Effects. According to the manufacturer, this product will give you healthy blood flow and circulation, enhanced physical performance, sexual stamina, firmer, fuller feeling erections, and wide-eyed female approval to swim naked in the community pool. Time's up from Berkeley Premium Nutraceuticals. Insight for love. The numbers and the costs just keep climbing. This week, the Justice Department's Bureau of Justice Statistics released its annual reports on prisoners and on probation and parole in the U.S. According to the department, there are now more than 7 million men and women either behind bars on probation or parole. That's more than 3% of the U.S. population, or one out of every 32 adults. Our nation's prison system has expanded dramatically over the past couple of decades, largely fueled by the war on drugs. For example, in 1995, the federal prison system had grown to hold more than 88,000 people on all charges. Currently, there are more than 158,000 people in the federal system, of whom more than 86,000 are drug offenders. 
1995, there were fewer than one million inmates held in state prisons on all charges. There are now more than one and a quarter million state prison inmates, of whom 20%, more than a quarter million, are drug offenders. According to the American Corrections Association, the cost of incarceration in a state prison on average is $22,650 per inmate each year. The cost of federal incarceration is higher. A few years ago, the Bureau of Prisons estimated that it spends just over $3 billion a year to incarcerate federal drug offenders. We have given our nation's leaders a blank check with which to pursue this mindless war on drugs. It's well past time to close out that account. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. This is Terry Nelson speaking on behalf of Lee, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Has the war on drugs made some of our police into killers and eroded our civil rights? Just this past week, there's been two killings by police, both linked to the drug war. The most recent was a groom on his way to a wedding from a bachelor party accompanied by two of his friends. The trio had stopped off for drinks at a local strip club which the police had under surveillance. No gun was found in the car, but the police shot some 50 rounds into the auto, killing the driver and severely wounding the other two occupants. I don't know the specifics of that police department's use of force policy. I do know if someone is not returning fire, there is little reason for the police to fire that many rounds. The act can only be attributed to pack mentality. One person starts shooting and the rest join right in. Of the seven officers reportedly involved, only two decided not to fire. So there were at least seven or more officers assigned to a drug investigation at a strip club. That's good duty if you can get it. The question remains, as the police are hired to protect and to serve citizens, are the police hired to spy on and pry into the lives of people? Our draconian drug laws have turned some members of law enforcement into secret police with hidden agendas. This failed public policy has so many unintended consequences that it must be stopped. Consequences from innocent people caught in the crossfire of feuding drug gangs, a grandmother killed trying to protect her home from home invaders, school children having to submit to violations of their Fourth Amendment rights, police coercing people to allowing them to illegally search their vehicles and homes to prove their innocence or not draw the anger of the officers. Officers planting drugs on suspected offenders, officers stealing drugs from dealers and then selling the drugs, sheriffs protecting drug traffickers, shades of the old pro of prohibition, and others. But you get the general idea. From this war's inception in the early 1970s until now, we have been told over and over again that the war is winnable and that we are winning. This has proven to be false, as all drugs are more available of higher quality and cheaper than at the beginning. Remember, one of the main purposes of government is to protect our rights and to ensure that justice is done. Generally, citizens of a nation will support and respect a law that is designed to protect them from harm from others. The war on drugs has infringed upon our rights and cannot be described as justice. It's time for a change. Let's work together to stop this craziness and help build a better future for ourselves and our children. This is Terry Nelson at www.leap.cc signing off. Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. We begin this week in Colombia, where on November 20th, Defense Minister Juan Manuel Santos announced the destruction of the country's last remaining opium poppy plantation. 
However, the U.S. Department of Justice's 2007 National Drug Threat Assessment reports that declines in South American heroin production will likely result in more Afghan heroin on American streets. In the five years since Operation Enduring Freedom toppled Afghanistan's Taliban government, the amount of potential heroin produced there has increased from less than 20 to nearly 700 tons annually. In the same period, heroin prices in Europe have decreased by half. A new report co-authored by the U.N. and the World Bank shows a, quote, probability of high-level government involvement, end quote, in U.S.-occupied Afghanistan's black market heroin monopoly. Apparently nurtured by the Bush administration, illegal narcotics production and trafficking now represents the largest sector of the Afghan economy. Opium paste is being used to hold together the shattered dreams of Afghan and neocon alike. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. This is Howard Wooldridge, founding member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And uh, coming from you from Washington, D.C., where I'm now representing LEAP on Capitol Hill as an education specialist. Well, certainly on Capitol Hill, I've been meeting with staffers. I've met with most of the staffers who, whose members are on the judiciary, the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, the Democrats are excited for the possibility of moving some harm reduction measures forward. Republicans are all, of course, gloomy that um, that, that some uh, small dents will be made in the, in the nation's policy of war on drugs or drug prohibition. But overall, it's uh, there's a, there's a there's a um, air of excitement and uh, the possibility of change. Uh, are there any? Uh, representatives, uh, staffers that you could name? No, Dean, it's best not to, to name names uh, uh, because especially in the, in, the, in the early stages, you don't want too much to get out there too fast uh, for political reasons. And uh, although this is only my second rodeo, uh, I've, I've learned that uh, sometimes it's best just to, just to keep it quiet for as long as possible. Okay. But, but certainly there are staffers. Uh, you know, one of my uh, one of my main proposals for uh, 2007 for Congress and for and for also the uh, legislature in Maryland, where I'm going to be uh, doing some testifying, is a an arrest-free 911 call for any alcohol or drug overdose. Uh, we want to say yes to life, um, as opposed to the current policy, which is really pro-death. You mentioned this is not your first rodeo. You you did something similar in uh, the state of Texas, uh, mm -hmm. um, and yet we find that the the progress that was carved out is not being heeded, is not being paid attention to. As for instance, the city of Houston is still sending uh, hundreds of people to prison for less than a, a gram of drugs. Uh, your thoughts? What would you like to relay to those uh, Texas representatives? Well, that, you know, in 2003, when I was uh, engaged in my first rodeo there in Austin for four and a half months, uh, the legislature was wise enough to say, you know what, putting someone in prison at a cost of uh, close to 30000 a year uh, at taxpayer expense because they possessed personal amounts, one gram or less uh, of cocaine or heroin or meth or whatever, was just a horrendous waste, of course, of human lives, and secondly, taxpayer dollars, and thirdly, of course, police time. Uh, these people have a medical issue. They should be seeing a doctor in a clinic, certainly not a, a judge in a prison. And I'm disappointed that, that the judges in Texas have been slow 
to implement this new law and give these people the probation and treatment that the legislature said they should have. So I would urge all your listeners, uh, especially in Texas, to call and say, look, let's have a serious treatment versus incarceration on the three levels. You don't want to pay it for it as a taxpayer. It's simply wrong as a human as a human uh, issue. And uh, three, of course, it, it takes up so much police time to try to find these people who have a drug problem. So please, contact your state senators and state reps. Uh, you need to do that right away. Okay, a uh, quick note this Sunday, Rich Watt with two decades experience as a Texas uh, prison warden will be speaking to the Unitarian Church at 1900 Bering at 10 a.m. I say this for all the affiliates out there. Warden Watkins is now a spokesman for LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Whether you're in Houston or any of our 65 affiliate cities in uh, uh, America or Canada, we at LEAP will be glad to send a representative, a cop, a judge, someone to speak to your audience about this. And uh, as always, I remind Mind you, because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jack dancing on the edge of an abyss. <laughs>